0: Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I'm your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the world of venture capital and consumer-facing startups. If you're a founder of a B2C business and currently fundraising, I run a private newsletter where I share companies to past and future guests of the show that I think are interesting. If you'd like to apply to be on the newsletter, head over to theconsumervc.com backslash startup. Our guest today is Alex French, founder and CEO of Busy Ink Coffee the number one seller of cold brew coffee on Amazon. We discuss Alex's initial approach to entrepreneurship, how they've been able to maintain the number one best seller on Amazon for two years, and how he's approached fundraising and was able to raise. Without further ado, here's Alex. Alex, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you?
1: Oh, I'm doing so good. How are you?
0: Good. Good, good. It's so great to have you on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time. Let's talk about the very beginning. What initially attracted you to entrepreneurship? And tell me a little bit about your early entrepreneurial efforts.
1: Like a lot of kids my age, a lot of boys specifically, I grew up and I had this picture of of that Ferrari Testarossa on my wall and uh, my dad's a big car guy like myself uh always you know aspired to have those nice things and i asked my dad you know how do i get one of those and he just says you got to be a business owner son and you know really since then i was pre-teen at that point um had just really been striving for that uh no entrepreneurs in my family fortunately i kind of had that hustler mentality if you will So really, as a kid, I mean, young, I was buying and selling Beanie Babies, um, action figures, selling them on eBay, going to kind of like swap meets, and then graduated to the lawnmower and the snowblower. Uh, Any sort of way that I could just kind of make a buck, I would certainly, you know, do that. Um, So really always just had that kind of entrepreneurial spirit. Um, looking to you know make my own way and forge my own path, so have always kind of had some sort of side hustle, regardless of. You know when i was in my career whether that was at you know best buy or general mills and then of course now you know on the full-time entrepreneurial path
0: that's awesome that's something that that other entrepreneurs have also discussed about really having that hustle at an early age i wanted to also just touch on some of your learnings i know we were talking before about when you were working at general mills
1: being at general mills was just such a fantastic part of my career and just journey as a professional uh, you know, I had the only job within marketing that you could have without an MBA. And so because of that, I mean, the culture there is is really fantastic. Everyone is, uh, you know, very motivated, very smart, very hardworking. And I was surrounded by those types of people all the time. And you know, I was one as a person that's always been uh, moderately extroverted and always trying to learn from others. So. Um, I was able to just network as much as I possibly could and, and talk with really smart people. And you know, the wonderful thing about being in marketing there is they have kind of this hub and spoke model where marketing really runs, they're the general managers. And so I got to talk to marketers, I got to talk to the food scientists, I got to talk to the supply chain folks, and really just you know spread my wings and learn as much as I possibly could about soup to nuts, of you know how do you make a product that's consumable <clears throat> brand it and then sell it so i really was fortunate where i kind of got to i had the ability to learn everything and then within my specific role at the beginning i was on the cheerios team i think my title then was marketing analyst and so i would you know analyze the budget help manage some of the tracking of the budget but then also i would uh, have the ability to look at all of our sales data and i could splice and dice it in in any which way using nielsen so i could look at any item at any customer in any region and see how it was selling and through that i learned just a ton about some of the lingo of acv and asp and some of these terms that as you start talking to the larger retailers become extremely important where if i you know wouldn't have been in that cpg retail setting you know wouldn't have learned that but you know one of the wonderful things is as i was there um you know a lot of my work was in spreadsheets and analysis so i was just listening to a ton of podcasts while i was you know doing my day-to-day work And so some of those things I was listening to was, you know, a lot of these like side hustle, passive income type of blogs. Um, I had a previous physical product business that had failed. And so I was just trying to make sure that my next venture that I went into wouldn't be that way. So I was just learning a ton about, you know, how do you sell a direct-to-consumer product? How do you market it? You know, affiliate marketing. I was really just trying to boil the ocean to figure out kind of what that next um kind of side hustle was going to be and and podcast was was a lot of it and so kind of through that you know initially i was just looking for something that was as i said a side hustle that i could do passively Um, and so we were looking at just all the products that we personally liked and liked to consume and then you know i was fortunate enough to sit next to someone that was in consumer insights and so i got to learn kind of all these tricks that seem you know obvious in hindsight but like plugging in words into google trends and seeing if it's trending up or trending down and what the search volume is and then you can see if there's a good market for something that you're looking at and then you can do things like okay we were looking at you know cold brew is one of the many things um, but you then go look at you know, you go into Instagram and you look at hashtag cold brew and you see who's posting about it. And then you start to identify like, who's that consumer? How are they consuming? Why are they consuming? And you can just learn about a ton of these insights. And so, you know, really, it was just trying to learn as much as I possibly could. And, and that was through my colleagues constantly just networking with them, but then also doing kind of my independent research through podcasts.
0: There's no right way or wrong way to approach entrepreneurship, but Wanted to know just your thoughts about folks that are entrepreneurs or are thinking about entrepreneurship that may not know what their product yet is, but they really are, you know, they have that hustler mentality of wanting to start something.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, if you know you want to be an entrepreneur, you know, that's going to be generally a different path than someone that is just passionate about something that just has to see it in the world. Um, i certainly have passion but my passion is for entrepreneurship and so i knew that i wanted to do something and as i had mentioned i had failed before in fact i've failed you know many times and i was just kind of sick of failing and so you know i wanted to make sure that what we were going to pursue had the highest likelihood of success and so certainly like one of the things with entrepreneurship is it's really hard it's really long it's super challenging and so you certainly want to appreciate the product or service that you're in, if you're not just absolutely fanatical about like processes and just, you know, getting your ass kicked every day, then you want to like it to some degree. So, you know, I think one that's a great place to start is just things that you like first and foremost. And then secondly, there's a couple of tools that you can look at um, to help validate some of those ideas. And I mentioned one of them was Google Trends. And so you can just pretty simply like plug in some things that you're interested in uh, and just kind of see how the category is trending Um, one of the biggest advantages to being in the digital age now is especially with what's happened kind of during covid post covid is people are buying things online and almost all of them are done through search and so you can pretty accurately you know, validate a business idea just by looking at search tools. Um, so like obviously Amazon, wildly successful, it is I think the third or second largest search engine and people are there to buy. So you can just kind of look at general tools like you know, keyword research. Um, one of them that's really good to actually kind of quantify the opportunity is looking at the Google Keyword Planner. And so you can basically make a Google Ads account for free and then just start plugging in some of the things that you're interested in. And it not only does it tell you the search volume of those words, but it also tells you the level of competition. So of course, the, the jackpot would be something that has a ton of search volume with very low competition. And you know that will be the first step into validating the opportunity. Of course, if no one's searching for what you wanna sell, it's gonna be very difficult to sell that product because you then have to take the burden of yourself of education. So if you find something that has good search volume, um, you plug it into the Google Trends to see, hey, is this trending upwards or is it trending downwards? I typically, when I'm looking at ideas, I wanna make sure that it's you know not a fad, but in fact, a trend. So this is a long-term thing, not a flash in the pan. And so once you, you know, find something that you like and you think has good search volume, the most logical step in my mind is to then go to Amazon and kind of plug in some of those keywords and just see what's out there. And once you see what the competitive landscape is, you, know, you just have to ask yourself, can you make something slightly different or slightly better? Uh, and, and if you can, if the answer to that is yes, then you can start to really like size the prize so there's a lot of really fantastic tools. Um, there's a, a platform called Seller Labs where you can just pull reports and see how much revenue products are doing, and with that you can pretty accurately, you know, understand like, okay, if I'm to put ten thousand dollars into launching this product, and I can get twenty percent market share, I'm going to make, you know, fake numbers fifty thousand dollars a year or whatever. Uh, and I think that's a really fantastic way to use to quantify you know finding the opportunities and making sure that it's right because again like you can certainly do a side hustle business that can be small using the same strategy and maybe just launching on your site or if you want to do something that has a little more scale to it you know you want to make sure that's going to have a good search volume and then you can you know my goal is to always generate a dollar as quickly as possible because even though um, search is going to be directionally accurate, you know, people vote with their dollars. And so if you're able to get that customer to purchase as quickly as possible, that'll help validate the idea, you know, as, as soon as you can.
0: Totally. If In the beginning stages of, of, of founding Busy, how did you land on coffee after doing all these different tactics?
1: Specifically, you know, we're in the category of cold brew coffee. So it's an, a niche within this, you know, massive $17 billion category. And, You know, one of the things is because we have, as I mentioned, failed a couple of times, I kind of have a general framework of what I think a business that has the ability to scale and, uh, that I'd be interested in pursuing. And it's, you know, it's, it's consumable. Um, I know my first product was not, you sold it once ever and it was a low price. So it's a tough business. Um, I wanted it to be consumable and searchable and you know within the food space i was at general mills and so i kind of had a, a macro understanding of where these trends were going uh, and so some of them you know that we all that are all logical right less sugar fewer ingredients cleaner ingredients uh, craft right some some of those things that are just really obvious to understand plant-based and You know, I loved cold brew coffee as a consumer. I was making it myself at home. And so, you know, I knew it was searchable because I had searched how to make cold brew coffee myself. Like literally I did that exact search as a consumer of the category. And so I knew it was searchable. It was consumable. It was addictive. Um, and then it kind of fit on all of these macro food trends that I had mentioned. And so it, it just really fit this kind of Venn diagram I had in my head at perfectly. Now, in hindsight, you know, now I know how competitive coffee is and how challenging it is because one thing that I hadn't considered is the emotional side of coffee and the ritualistic side of coffee. But as a broad category, it really hit on everything that I was looking for and what I thought a good scalable opportunity was.
0: So in the beginning phases when you decide, okay, I want to do cold brew coffee. And so the
1: the first business that we actually started, the original business plan was passive income. So because I knew there was so much search volume, I wanted to build an affiliate site, coldbrewcoffeerecipe.com and turn it into a blog capture search traffic and get a commission when I funneled that traffic to someone that would be willing to pay for it. Um, that due to the re- to the state legislature, Minnesota, um, Amazon wouldn't allow us, they wouldn't give us an affiliate check. My gut is that because Target and Best Buyer based here, they lobbied against it or something like that. But for whatever reason, we couldn't get affiliate revenue in our site, which we learned far too late. And so at that point, again, we knew there was a ton of demand for the category. So at the time, all of the cold brew coffee recipes were for a concentrate. And so when you when you made cold brew coffee at home, you made a concentrate and then you would you know, make it how you wanted to. And so that first product was that cold brew coffee concentrate.
0: Once you actually decided, okay, I, I can't do the affiliate because of the laws in Minnesota, and you and you develop the cold brew uh, coffee concentrate. What was your initial supply chain, or how did you uh, initially thought about sourcing?
1: I'm because again I've failed so many times. You know, my thought was, how do I validate this? as quickly as possible as cheaply as possible so like v1 literally was my business partner andrew and myself we went down to our local co-op we purchased the whole bean coffee we grounded ourselves we brewed it we put it in glass bottles and then we put it up on indiegogo and we said you know we did this whole marketing campaign alongside it but we basically said hey are people willing to buy this product with this brand name at the time it was called cause coffee and then it was validated and it was like okay let's start making this now within the food and beverage space there's a slightly few more hurdles because it is consumable Uh, you, you know digest it so the next phase for us was to take it to the next level so we would legally sell it and we did that we went to a commercial kitchen we found a local roaster and then we started buying the bottles in bulk and we went to a label vendor We got certified and kind of, that's where we did the majority of our major research and development. You know, our mission at Busy is to be the best and we strive to create the best tasting, highest quality product. And so we would just test every variable, give it to all of our friends and family and coworkers to make sure that what we were producing was the best. And then once we felt that we had that, you know, perfect recipe in place, Then it was, okay, how do we scale this manufacturing? And fortunately, my business partner, Andrew, was in scaled manufacturing, specifically in medical devices, Um, previous job in fluid systems. So he knew what we were looking for pretty specifically. And so when we had started, cold brew was still relatively new. And so we just went to a beer brewery because the equipment is pretty similar. And we just asked a bunch of beer breweries across the country if they would be willing to make a cold brew coffee for us using their equipment. Uh, Once we landed on the one that we wanted to go with, we then went and found um, roasters that were large that were in that area that could supply large quantities of the grounds for the brewer. And then we would take that into a packaging facility and, and package it up. Um, that's no longer what our supply chain is today, but that that was how we had approached it, you know, when we started to actually make a commercial product.
0: Talk to me a little bit about your Amazon strategy. I know the past couple of years, you've been the number one for uh, cold Amazon. would love to just let, kind of learn how
1: you think and approach Amazon. Yeah, I think Amazon is is such a wonderful thing. And, you know, I, I try and always put myself in the consumer's lens at all times. You know, we all buy tons of things. And when you're in the business, We forget that we're consumers and we don't put ourselves in the shoes of the consumer and so the thing about amazon is it is a search engine plain and simple yeah they have navigation and you can click around to find what you want but people search for what they want on amazon right that's what we all do as consumers so as long as you have that fundamental understanding that people are going to be searching for something you're way ahead of the game so it's just like when you go to Google, again, like, let's put our mind and in in, let's put the consumer hat on. Like, if it's not on the first page of Amazon or Google, like, are we going to buy it? Well, probably not. And if that product doesn't have a lot of good reviews, are we going to buy it? Probably not. So those are the two most important things to understand. So when we launch a product, you know, we make sure that we have a review strategy. And there's several ways to do it. Of course, friends and family should always buy the products and you should buy it and leave a great review. Um, you have to start with, you know, we think you got to have at least 25 reviews before you do any sort of marketing. That kind of validates that there's, you know, real people buying the product. And that'll get your reviews up and that's kind of your social proof. You of course have to have beautiful photography and leverage all of the A plus content and do everything that you can. And then we make sure that we're advertising because when you launch your product, it will not rank on the first page, probably for anything except like exactly what you have in your title. So you gotta do those paid ads based on the search words that you think someone's gonna be searching to buy the product And, and that will help you drive more sales and the way that Amazon rewards their sellers is whoever has the most revenue and the highest conversion rate generally is going to be the highest search ranking. And so to get your revenue up, you have to be on that first page. You have to have good reviews and you have to have your your page optimized for keywords. And as long as you have those and you have a good kind of keyword ad plan, um, you're going to be In a pretty good position uh, as long as you just kind of keep an eye on on the spend but um if you can do those two things you're going to be far above the competition
0: that's really helpful so why did you uh fundraise or think about fundraising
1: yeah so i mean when we launched we originally had a liquid coffee concentrate and we were using outsourced manufacturing and they had very large minimum order quantities and frankly, we just didn't have the money to produce the inventory. Again, like physical products here, there's inventory which requires cash. And when you're a small vendor, you're not getting net 30, net 60 payment terms, you probably pay in advance before they even deliver the product. And so you just need money to literally finance the inventory and a bank's not gonna finance that inventory unless you personally guarantee it and I didn't have anything to personally guarantee. So we went out and, and raised money um, through friends and family and it was it was really really hard because it was tough to see how a cold brew coffee concentrate on amazon could be a wildly successful business. And so we actually took a misstep in 2017, where we were so broke, we, we needed money to keep the business afloat. And so we ended up launching a new product line that sounded fantastic to literally everyone. It was a, a coffee shot, so coffee-based five-hour energy, if you will, and everyone was able to see the opportunity. It was a better for you five-hour energy. Um, so we raised quite a lot of money for that product, but it ended up not succeeding for a multitude of reasons. But we needed that money to to keep afloat and to pay for inventory. Um, fortunately, we were able to exit that product um, with a little bit of cash in the bank, and then you know revisit our business plan of you know why did we originally start it and kind of went back into that. Coffee concentrate space and then ended up launching a, a line of ground coffee for the cold brew enthusiasts like myself, my business partner, and then that helped us, you know, really scale scale the business from that point on.
0: Talk to me a little bit as well in terms of fundraising. I know it was a mix of family offices and as well as VCs. Uh, how do you how do you think about those two different types of models
1: on the the family office side uh, and kind of the friends and family? Uh, you know, th- they're going to have just a different mandate right so those individuals specific on the family office they're investing their own money and they have a much larger time horizon they're going to be more flexible um, where someone who's you know on a professional investor on a venture capital side they have an, a group of investors money that they're managing they're limited partners and they had to raise money and they had to pitch that they're gonna have you know phenomenal returns. And so they have to provide a return to their shareholders. And so they're gonna generally be the model is they need a couple of huge wins. As we all know, most businesses are gonna fail. And so they have to have a you know a higher return outcome, which is why we were unsuccessful with anyone on that venture side uh, with the concentrates, but with the shots, there was a venture opportunity where we could point to five hour energy as a billion dollar market. And so with that venture model of let's say that they would have led our round, which they didn't. um, But if we would have had a venture fund lead that round and the shots failed, the business most likely would have just shut down because they invested in a moonshot product category that had the potential to scale and be as big as five hour energy where the family office, Um, they led the round and they just wanted to make sure that the money didn't go to zero. They're okay with a smaller return, a longer time horizon, but their goal is to just make sure their money doesn't go to zero because that's their money. And they don't want to have, you know, they want to have as few losses as possible where the VC can have more losses because they're going to be taking higher risk bets with bigger upside. So with that family office, they were, we were able to essentially pivot and they were able to help us finance that plan and even though at the time you know it looked like it was a smaller upside we were able to navigate those waters with them um and and get us to to that next phase so you know they're they're very different and the thing about a family office is they all operate in in very differently than one another because there's no model they will typically have a very diversified investment approach, which could include retail, it could include real estate, um, private equity, you know, traditional equity markets, hedge funds. So they're gonna have a diversified approach typically and venture may just be a very small portion of it. And so you know, they're just gonna think about the investment very differently than the venture side where they are exclusively investing in this extremely risky asset class and so they just have to have a higher rate of return because they're not able to diversify across other asset classes.
0: We haven't really covered yet a lot about family offices and the differences. So uh, that's I think that's really helpful. I know that DNVBs have been you know a bit out of favor with um, with investors. Do you get that sense when you are fundraising, or
1: you know I have heard it from some. We because our business you know we we would say that we are omni-channel. You know, you can find us in about a thousand grocery stores across the country. We're on Amazon. We're on our sites. We're rolling out into Walmart. So, you know, when when I was fundraising previously, and I'd go into you know the market and ask questions, they had very difficult benchmarks to hit. You know, their LTV to CAC ratios were very high. You had to get paid back on the first order. Um, they were very difficult benchmarks to hit. And you know I think that's how they tried to shy away from the category. Now for us, we are omnichannel. So we look at it as that digital side as kind of a, a cheap or free customer acquisition, retain that information, and then build that customer base that we know is also gonna buy in the grocery channel. And so, you know, we've been able to navigate it a little differently than just a pure play direct to consumer brand. You know, even though we are vertically integrated now, we do manufacture the products ourselves. Um, I think that omni-channel approach has allowed us to kind of be in a place of our own because, and when a situation like COVID arises, you know, we have a diversified approach where, you know, we're able to, you know, shoulder some of the burdens of maybe we lost some of our food service business but our grocery business and our direct consumer business are thriving, and so I was able to cover up, you know, that that channel hit that you may have if you're only, you know, going after one of those channels.
0: Well, that's, I mean, first of all, that's really great to hear that um, during COVID you're thriving, and it's been a very, very uh, terrible period. But um, at least on, as a bright spot, I'm happy that, that your business is doing so well from it. I wanted to know how you thought about as well about brand.
1: Yeah, I think you know this goes back to some of the things I was very fortunate to start my career at General. Mills in marketing is I think brand is extremely important. You know, at the end of the day, you know, what I've told my investors since the beginning is we're going to someday, you know, sell or partner with the strategic, uh, which could be, you know, a large coffee brand as an example. And, you know, they, they, pay premiums for the brand so you can be a manufacturer with no brand let's say you produce a target private label and you may get a five to six times multiple um, if you sell the brand or if you sell your company but if you are a branded company down the road you could sell for eight to ten times and so just by having that asset it, it is it, ha- it holds tremendous value and so when When I was at General Mills, they really hammered that, you know, into my into my brain and because they they are brand owners and those brands and trademarks mean a lot. And so I was, again, fortunate enough to go through a lot of exercises. You know, they created this thing called the brand compass and you'll hear a lot of agencies kind of talk about it. And there's this thing called the VTO and it's just what does your brand stand for? What does it mean? What's your mission? What are your beliefs? And so we think about that a lot, as I mentioned, you know, we weren't initially called busy, we were called cause, you might notice a a similarity in the number of letters and the first part of the alphabet. Um, You know, we had always been very consistent with, you know, the name, the name is very important. And ideally it becomes a badge brand where people are proud to show that off. And you see this in in clothing uh, in single serve beverage in bars you know, if you build a strong brand, it really says something about who that consumer is. And so, you know, initially we certainly did Focus almost exclusively on you know pay per click advertising. Get the product in front of the person that's shopping for the category. But we never lost sight of making sure that our brand was distinguishable. It was noticeable. It popped. It had a great name. It, you know, it sounded good. I I also think it's very important uh, in my mind to either describe the problem or the solution or the benefit within the name. Uh, and, you know, you wanna make sure that you can get the trademark on it as well. So for Busy, the reason that we use that name is because it takes 18 hours to make cold brew coffee and we were too busy to wait 18 hours for it. And so that's why we had that product. And, you know, so I do think that the brand is extremely important. You know, that's why companies rebrand because what they were describing themselves as or the look or the color or the emotion May not have gotten across to that consumer what they wanted to. So we think about it a lot. You know, probably every six to twelve months, we'll revisit our brand strategy. You know, we have a short brand bible which describes what our mission is. I called out. You know, our mission is to be the best, and we know that our consumers are brand champions. You know, they strive to be the best versions of themselves. And so not only does that brand itself stand for something to the consumer, but it stands for something to us. So when we talk to our retail partners or our employees, um, you know, we, we really want to be the best in everything that we do, and we demand the best of ourselves, of our suppliers. And so when we go into the meetings, we, you know, we tell them our mission is to be the best. We want to be your best vendor partner that you've ever had. And when you go really deep in on that, um, people can feel it and they resonate with it. And so we certainly don't take branding lightly. I think in the early days it's difficult to invest in the brand. We're now just getting to the point where we can put dollars to build in that brand equity. Where in the start, you know, it's it certainly is an evolution over time. And as long as you have an authentic founder's story, you can kind of navigate that journey. You know, the brand doesn't need to be in day one what it is in, in year five, but it certainly has to stand for something throughout that journey.
0: It's interesting too, because I've had founders on the show that they put a lot of money into their brand kind of first thing. Your approach, which I think is also interesting, is uh, seeing if it actually sells first. How how do you think about the competitive landscape when it comes to cold brew coffee?
1: You know, that's a a very difficult question and one that we've had to think a lot about. You know, because a lot of what cold brew felt like the last four years was super trendy, a huge fad. Um, everyone was chasing what everyone else was doing. And so we did pretty much everything that everyone else has done. We just did it way faster and way cheaper, but we failed every step of the way. So, I mean, when we started, we were selling kegs to offices and then we got into single serve and then we did concentrates and all, and you know, most of them didn't really work out. And, you know, fortunately, we never really went down the nitro route, because um, I think that's going to be, a, a, you know, a, a very difficult one. But, you know, a lot of people were just kind of chasing what everyone else was doing. And and we got caught in that rat race because the category is so expensive to, to participate. And I mean, shipping a perishable, ready-to-drink product is extremely challenging and it's very expensive. Um, and so when everyone was going into that single serve space, after we had failed the shots, we really had to do some soul searching. And we thought about it and we looked at the data and we, you know, we did a lot of qualitative research. And what we found is that you know, everyone wanted a single serve canned beverage. You know, that's what everyone was going after from a brand perspective. And what everyone failed to realize is that you are directly competing with a coffee shop. And so when you look at other single-serve beverage categories, let's say sodas or energy drinks or kombuchas, I mean, there there is not a kombucha shop. There's not an energy shop. There's not a soda shop, but there is a coffee shop, and they're on every single corner. And so what we looked at the data and realized is like, okay, not only are you competing with every other single-serve product, but you're also competing with every single coffee shop. And so we just – looked back and kind of in our soul and we're like why did we start this thing and it was like we we were making cold brew coffee for ourselves because we hated paying so much money at the coffee shop and we drank it at home and so we just said okay everyone is fighting for the single serve space and it's at this point a commodity product there's really no differentiation other than the can you know that it's in and we just said let's go after the at home occasion that's where the vast majority of coffee is consumed and at the time all the you know the really really large brands so like uh it's a name not many people know but Danone, white wave they own international delight they own stoke you look at starbucks and these huge 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 brands were all in the multi-serve space and it was just clear that that was the future of the category and then you know I've looked at parallels in the just the coffee category you know bagged coffee and so we launched and we got caught in this like okay people are doing flavored let's do flavored and again we just took a step back and we said well what is successful in the coffee category because what we learned is that this is this is coffee this is an ingredient and people like to talk about ingredients and know the differences of the ingredients and so again, we just looked at what was working in the bagged coffee aisle, and we said the the coffee aisle is just moving into the cold case, and people are going from bags to bottles. Okay, that is what's happening now. What? is successful in the bagged aisle it's not flavored coffee it's light roast it's medium roast it's dark roast it's our new SKUs we're launching this week it's espresso blend it's breakfast blend and so we just looked at adjacencies as opposed to what our competitors were doing we just looked at what was what has worked for the last 50 years in the category and just had a thesis that this is moving from bags to bottles And if we can be the front runner of the best quality coffee that's focused on roast profiles and blends, we have a really good chance of of dominating this category long-term.
0: And that's something I never really thought about in terms of competing against coffee shops, whereas for soda or a kombucha, you're not competing against kombucha shops or, or soda shops. Obviously, right now during COVID, I know that, that you're doing really well during COVID in terms of your sales. How are you thinking about these changes in consumer behavior? And what are you also thinking about post-COVID?
1: We're, we're lucky, right? We're one of the lucky ones where because we had been so focused on winning at home. It, you know, it's really funny this is, you know, how the in- investor landscape works, which makes perfect sense. You know, we were a coffee brand and we were selling coffee and we had been, you know, pitching like, "Hey, we're going to win at home," and rightfully so. The investors were like, well, "That just doesn't matter. You're slinging coffee. Like it really doesn't matter, right?" And then all of a sudden, every American was stuck at home and they couldn't go to a coffee shop. And as i kind of called out earlier i mean this is a drug people are gonna drink coffee no matter what and we were fortunate enough that most of our focus was on grocery stores and amazon and everything was in a multi-serve variety so it was generally a really good value and so we did see a massive increase in demand and you know, what we're seeing and what we're hearing from our consumers is that a lot of these people that were daily coffee shop drinkers, they'd go to their Starbucks or you name it, third wave coffee shop on the way to the office. They, they never even considered the product category of a multi-serve iced coffee. But because they're addicted to the category and they couldn't go to their coffee shop, they've now entered into this category and they're realizing that they're saving like 80 percent on their coffee addiction and generally speaking the people that can afford to go to a coffee shop every day they have higher discretionary income but they're also generally more like financially driven and so they're doing the math now and saying holy cow i'm saving so much money and the quality is just as good I'm not even going to go back to the coffee shop unless it's a treat. And so when we realized that this was happening, we just said, all right, we got to acquire these customers. This is going to be, you know, not all of them are going to stay with us. A lot of them will go back to the coffee shops, but a significant portion are going to now just switch into this new occasion and so we really focused on just acquiring those customers in the grocery store through lots of trade promotions and, and, and marketing on shelf. And then we made sure that on Amazon, anyone searched cold brew coffee, they were going to see our brand and ideally they were gonna buy it. Uh, and so now we're in the, the you know, the market has kind of subsided a little bit, some coffee shops are open. And now we're in that remarketing game where we got them into our funnel. And let's just do everything we can to keep them coming back. Because again, this is a, a recurring revenue product. That
0: makes a lot of sense. What's one book that inspired you professionally and one book that inspired you personally?
1: You know, probably the biggest one and you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, would would agree is you know the four-hour work week was from a professional and candidly a personal one is it, it made me think differently because a lot of what it talks about is just like the value of your time and this idea of like time arbitrage and you know I was really focused early on in the story of building a side hustle business and so what we did is he recommends getting this thing called a virtual assistant. And so we ended up getting uh, an assistant that was based in the, in the Philippines. And, you know, it was a relatively inexpensive cost, but what it did personally and professionally is make me realize that, you know, you can go out and do anything you want. Like a lot of people get very nervous about, you know, emailing someone like, Oh my gosh, what if they like don't respond or say like, screw you, But if you can go and like outsource that email, all of a sudden you have the confidence to go reach out to anyone. So that book, like just totally opened my eyes to like leveraging other people to do work for you. And then, you know, personally, it's, it's also professionally, but certainly how to win friends and influence people is, is one of the greatest books of all time. You know, really helps you understand, you know, just how to socialize. And especially in this business world, and, you know, now with all these video calls and chats, I mean, being able to communicate effectively is the most important skill that you can have. And, you know, as the CEO, a lot of what I do is is sell. And so being able to understand how different people will react and some of those tips and tricks to make sure that, you know, you can get those people to be your friends and you can influence them to buy your products is is, is invaluable.
0: Funnily enough, no guest has mentioned these two um, I haven't I haven't read four hour work week, but but everyone I know that, that has loves it. How to win friends and influence people, I really enjoyed listening to that one. My final question is what's one piece of advice that you have for founders?
1: You know, the most important one, and you know, you learn this in the four hour work week is that your time is your most valuable asset that you have. It's non-renewable, everyone has the same amount. And so, you know, as an entrepreneur that's failed so many times, I think the most important thing that you can do is just maximize your time and the last thing you wanna do is spend a lot of time working on an idea that was never gonna work in the first place. And as I've kind of said earlier, consumers vote with their dollars. And so the fastest that you can get to the point where someone has the ability to purchase, to validate that idea uh, is is the number one thing. So just get to that first dollar as as fast as you possibly can and then just learn. And that's either gonna tell you that no one's willing to pay for it or you're going to get that dollar and you're going to be so freaking excited that you're going to work 24 hours a day.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's a really great piece of advice. Alex, this has been such a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. I always have a great time and it was a pleasure, Mike.
0: And there you have it. It was really fun talking with Alex about Busy Inc, how he approached fundraising, and how he's thinking about the future. If you could please leave a review on the Apple podcast app as it helps other folks find it, that would really be helpful. If you have a question you'd like to hear VCs or founders answer on the show, you can DM me and follow me on Twitter at Mike Gelb. You can also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. For all episodes, please visit the theconsumervc.com.
1: Thanks again for listening, folks, and please stay safe.